what a beautiful dance and a beautiful analogy of leading and following. Today, I begin a brand new three-week series on leading and following, if you will. The name of the series is Follow Me. And as I start this series, I'm reminded of our theme for the year, Stay in Focus. Focus stands for followers of Christ united in the Spirit. We're going to take the next three weeks to talk about what does it mean to follow Christ. Before we get to being united in the Spirit, and we're going to talk about what that means this fall, but what does it mean to follow Christ? Because if we're going to be followers of Christ united in the Spirit, we got to know what it means to follow Christ. And so for the next three weeks, I'm going to do this series, Follow Me. But there's a twist to it. When I say follow me, I actually don't necessarily mean Christ, but me. You see, when people follow Christ, they often follow other people. And so if I know that people are following me, how am I leading? Today, I want to talk about the art of shaping others for Christ. Next week, the art of sharpening others for Christ. And then the third week, we'll bring it all to a close as we talk about how we actually submit to others. You may want to pass on that one and maybe go do something else if you have a problem with the word submission. But we want to talk about this because in order to follow Christ, you must follow other people. And you must look back and realize there are people who are following you. There is a passage in scripture that the Apostle Paul himself makes this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I like the way the King James puts it, follow me as I follow Christ. Following me means that there are people following me as I'm following Christ. And the truth of the matter for most of you is you really didn't come to Christ without going through other people. Meaning that there may have been a context in which you grew up and there may be relationships in which you were influenced and informed. Most of us came to Christ because of another person who was not Christ. Most of us came to Christ and came to faith and grew in our faith, not because of Christ, they weren't Christ, they were someone else who was representing, who was following Christ. Many of us are inspired to follow Christ by others who are teaching us, preaching to us, leading us, serving with us, and inspiring us as we work alongside of them. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You think, but pastor, Christian church people out there are crazy. I'd rather just follow Jesus because these people are a little bit annoying. And the followers of Jesus are the reasons why some people don't follow Jesus. Well, instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which, by the way, is just a terrible analogy, but by, by somehow saying, I don't want to follow Christ because the people who represent Christ are not cool, is not actually the right conclusion. I think there's a better conclusion. A better conclusion is, how about we help grow people so they'll be better leaders for those who are following them? And yes, you're right. Christian church people can be crazy. 
Some of you have been around church world long enough, you realize that some, are, some Christians are very legalistic. Some churches are very legalistic. Some people are morally inappropriate. Some are stuck on themselves, might be prideful or arrogant. Some Christians may be mean and uncaring, two-faced, double-minded, money-hungry, downright crooked, and you may even be thinking in your mind, they're all hypocrites. Well, let's be clear. If you're a follower of Christ, you might need to look into the mirror yourself because maybe all those words I use, someone thinks is true about you. They think you're a hypocrite, they think you're not caring, or they think that you're judgmental. I hope that's not true. I don't want it to be true about me either. But representing Jesus Christ is a tall order, is it not? And so what some of us do is just say, you know what, I'm going to focus on my relationship with Jesus, but I'm not going to mentor anyone. I'm not going to disciple anyone. I'm just going to try to live my devotional private life with Jesus, try to be a good person, read a scripture a day, try to vote best as I can, and, and try not to screw anything up. And that really defines what a lot of people's, at least Western Christianity, is about living my personal relationship with Jesus, and if anybody else picks it up along the way, well, great. If I happen to stumble upon a a spiritual conversation somewhere at a coffee shop or on a phone line, great. But I really just want to focus on me and Jesus. And here's the thing. Me is not perfect, but me can still help you follow the one who is. Me is not perfect, but me can still help you follow the one who is. And so I don't want to get stuck on me. I just want you to realize that me ain't perfect. That's good English, right? Me ain't perfect, but I know the one who is. And if you'll follow me, I think you'll follow him even better. Have you, believer, taken on the responsibility of helping other people grow and know Christ, to know who he is and to grow in him. That is your responsibility. You cannot remain a baby Christian for the rest of your life. You have to grow up and then you have to take responsibility to be a good example to those who are behind you. I didn't say a perfect one, I said a good one. And so Lord, help us to understand this message and how it applies to our life in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. When I was a teenager, I would go to this house in Washington, D.C., where there was a group of other teenagers like me and a few adults. They would have food and have fun games and have conversation. They called this weekly youth gathering of teens uh, with other Christians a club. Now, I wasn't familiar with that term, that uh, it wasn't the kind of club that I knew of, even as a teenager, but especially those that were a little older than me, from 18 to 21, 22, 23, they went to a different kind of club. So when someone invited me, come to club, I was thinking it was that, but no, it was a house and it was other teenagers and they were talking about Jesus, eating food, having fun. And so it was very interesting because it was a different kind of club. I knew of that kind of club that people went to where they listened to something called 
go-go music. Now, you probably have no idea if you're not from the D.C. area what go-go music is, but it's a very unique D.C. beat, and it's a regional beat in the area. Folk like Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers, I know y'all know nothing about that, or Trouble Funk or EU, you had to be in the area to understand it. And when I was a teenager, around 16, 17, I used to play the keyboards, what we called it the synthesizer, in a go-go band called Central Groove. Anyway, that kind of club, it was not. <laughs> it was a different kind of club. And the name of the organization that was sponsoring these club nights was known as Young Life. Young Life was this Christian organization whose mission was to love on young people for Christ, hoping to draw in high schoolers who would eventually place their faith in Jesus Christ. I don't remember the leaders or the teachers so much now as I'm getting older, but I do remember that it was distinctly Christian. I remember that there was peace and safety in that Washington, D.C. house that felt pretty nice. I also remember it shaped my emotions and my feelings about Jesus Christ. Another faith-shaping memory in my life growing up was in church. I remember growing up in church, having Sunday school classes, having long church services and friends who cut up with me and singing in the choir and acting in dramas. I still remember the smell of the fried chicken and the collard greens uh, from the church kitchen where the church ladies were cooking, and so when service was over, we would go eat. I remember that. I remember being baptized around age 12 and the spiritual impact that had on my faith and my father and my family. I remember my dad being a pastor and going through a painful church split and realizing that my father was hurt by all of that and got caught up in something called church politics. And so that sort of uh, took the feeling that I had of church and it gave it a little bit of a bitter taste now. But I still remember powerful sermons, one that my dad preached called, uh, you know, if it ain't one thing, it's another. He used to preach that sermon. If it ain't the washing machine breaking down, it's the dryer. And he would just go through this, this litany of things. If it ain't one thing, it's another. another. I remember guest preachers coming in and preaching revivals. I remember Sister Washington's sweet potato pie. I remember Miss Reeves, who whenever she got caught up in the Holy Spirit, would stand up and spin around. I remember Deacon Holcomb's strong handshake. What am I saying? I'm saying whether it's black church culture growing up or whether it's white Bible clubs called Young Life, it was people. People who followed Christ and knew Christ that had an influence on what I felt and how I emoted my relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, I think sometimes we think that it's all about showing people the scriptures and giving them uh, catechisms of belief. And while it's true that there are beliefs from the scriptures and values that should be the underpinnings of our faith, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, there is something else that is very important for us to understand as it relates to discipleship, and that is this. What is the feeling and the emotion that people have around Christianity? What is the feeling and the emotion that you have when you think about God and Jesus? Guess what? That's influenced by the people you follow. Jesus, for some people, is a policeman and a judge who is ready to drop the bomb on you anytime. But that's because of the people that they've been following. 
or Jesus is a Santa Claus God who gives you whatever you pray for. That has to do with the kind of people they're following. So let me ask you, what kind of Christian people are in your orbit? And what kind of Christian leader are you as you dance and people flock and as you lead? How then does that all work together with regard to the emotions and the feelings that you have as a believer? It's not just quote a word and everything is better. It's about the emotions. This is why people don't go to church. It's because of how they feel about the church. It's not because of the scriptures. This is why some people don't turn to Christ. It's because of the people that are following him. They have issues in their psyche about them, not about the text. So what I wanna teach you in this series is the art of shaping the faith of other people and sharpening the faith of other people and even how you submit to other people who are around you. So that begs the question, what kinds of people should we be following? What kinds of people should we be following, specifically Christian people, if it's going to grow our faith? Well, let me give you four qualities of faith-shaping leaders. Four qualities of faith-shaping leaders. Here's the first one. A faith-shaping leader should be sincere. If you're following someone who's a faith-shaping leader, they should be sincere. If you are a faith-shaping leader, you should be sincere. Now that word sincere, if you look into a couple of passages, and I'm going to read two of them to you now, the word actually in the Greek is soon hypocritos. Guess what that means? Soon hypocritos. Hypocritos is hypocrite. Soon is without. So the word sincere in the New Testament can be defined as without hypocrisy. So a faith leader who is shaping other people should be without hypocrisy or sincere. Another word we use is authentic. Now listen to two passages, 1 Timothy 1.5 and 1 Peter 1.22. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a, here it is, sincere faith, non-hypocritical, authentic faith. In other words, when you follow a faith leader, make sure that they are just sincere. They're real about their faith. They're not a fake leader using faith to get what they want. They are sincerely trying their best to follow Jesus. And Paul says to Timothy, the goal is love coming from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, a non-hypocritical faith. We see this same word used in Peter's book, 1 Peter 1.22. This is what it says. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have, listen, sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. What Peter is saying is as believers, we're supposed to love one another deeper, deeply from the heart. But he actually says so that you have sincere love for your brothers, not a fake love, not a, a hypocritical love, a non-authentic, yeah, fine, I, 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 you know, I love you, but I don't like you. That's not, what, that's not what Peter's talking about. 
Peter is saying that the kind of love we ought to have is a sincere, soon hypocritos, non-hypocritical love as brothers and sisters for one another. Four qualities of a faith-shaping leader in one is they ought to be sincere. So as you think about your relationship to younger believers, people who are behind you and following you, are you sincere? Not perfect, sincere. Do you really want God and are you really trusting God? I think it's important and that's the first quality. Here's a second quality. If you're leading or if you're following someone, the art of shaping other people behind you, if you're gonna disciple other people behind you, if you're gonna help other people grow in their relationship with God, not only should the faith-shaping leader be sincere, but secondly, anointed. Anointed. Out of all the people you get to choose uh, to have in your life, if you have a pastor, a spiritual leader, a life group leader, a spiritual friend, if you get to choose who you get to follow, walk around, whose orbit you want to be in, be in the orbit of someone who is anointed, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, a teenager or an adult who is anointed because there are blessings that come with anointing. Listen to what it says in Psalm 133. The psalmist writes, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collars of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. So that unity is something that God feels is important. And when brothers and sisters agree in unity, there's an anointing that comes upon that. And that's why it says, for there, where? The unity, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, a, a beautiful uh, geographical picture of, of dew falling from Mount Zion on Mount Zion, but it goes on to say, for there, where's there? There is the unity that we have. The Lord bestows his blessings. Blessings come when we have agreement and anointing. And it says that anointing is like oil. And that oil drips from from Aaron's head, and you know, Aaron was a, a, a Levite leader behind uh, um, Moses. And in fact, if you wanted to cross-reference it, you could listen to what it says in Leviticus 8.12. It says, talking about Moses to Aaron, his, his follower, he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. He anointed him to consecrate, consecrate him. So that means when he anointed his head, it went down his head, onto his beard, and from his beard it went onto his, his collar, and then down his collar to the bottom robes, and this is why when that woman came to touch the hem of his garment, the anointing came from the top all the way through, and she knew if I could just get a touch of the hem of his garment, that I would be made whole because of the anointing that comes from the head all the way down to the very robe. Anything that touches the one who's anointed gets blessed with the same oil. And so you want to make sure that you are in uh, proximity 
of someone who's anointing, anointed because the anointing that they get will overflow to you and the spirit that they have will overflow to you. This is why it tells us in the New Testament that spirit recognizes spirit. The spirit inside of you can recognize the spirit inside of someone else. This is why you can't always logically know why you don't feel a connection with someone. You just know that your spirit doesn't agree with their spirit. And your spirit can tell when you're a child of God and someone else is a child of God, even if you don't know the same language. But have you ever had that thing inside of you where you felt like, "Mm, there's something in my spirit that's not connecting with that person? Your spirit is telling you, stay away, don't get too close, because anointing goes both ways. In other words, we think anointing is only on God's people. But see, there is an anointing that is on evil folk as well. There are spirits all over the place, so you want to make sure you don't connect your spirit with the spirit of somebody else because that uh, negativity can affect your spirit. Have you ever felt that in your life? You're around positive people, you start feeling better. But you're around negative people, you start feeling worse. Have you ever had a good smile on your face and then someone walked in the room with a sour spirit and before you know it, you started feeling sour? It's because they had a different anointing on them. They had a different spirit. You see, the, the oil is about joy. The oil is about healing. When you read oil in the Bible, it's about blessing, joy, healing. You see, when there is agreement and unity, there is anointing and blessing. I'm not here to judge those that have a different anointing or a different spirit. I'm here to help you grow in realizing, you know what? I knew there was something about the person's spirit, the spirit of that church, the spirit of that ministry, the spirit of that leader, the spirit of that family member. And I will relate, I will be kind, but I'm not going to yoke my spirit with their spirit because there's not an agreement with my anointing. My anointing agrees with the anointing of someone else who has joy and healing and blessing. And that's what I want to connect with. Even when I'm down, just touching the oil, just touching the anointing, just being within the organization, I realize that there is an order that God has set up, right? From the head to the beard to the collars to the robe, God blesses order. And so you can place yourself in the order and in the orbit of different anointings and you have the freedom to choose which one. I'm so blessed and grateful that so many of you have chosen Bridgeway to come under our covering and to receive what we have and what we give to you and what we produce. The amazing clergy that teach you, the amazing leaders that that shape you and that operationalize the ministry who are not on the stage but are in the background, they have the same anointing. Whether they're behind a computer, whether they're organizing an event, whether they are working with our children or writing curriculum, they have the same anointing that comes from the top. And the anointing that God has given me is to be passed on to you. It doesn't mean that my anointing is perfect. I'm not perfect. Aaron wasn't perfect. And neither were anybody in the scriptures. But when God decides to place his hand on someone, Uh, then you get to choose whether you want to come into the orbit of that ministry. And thousands of you have. And I wish I could just sit and listen to the stories 
of how this ministry has blessed you and your family. Because remember, the blessings go down and through from one generation to the next generation. Some of your kids and your kids' kids, your children's children will be blessed because of the agreement in your spirit with the anointing of the spirit of this ministry. But remember what Proverbs 13, 20 says, just to be clear, it says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Want to be wise? Hang out with wise people. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Just like you can be blessed by the people around you, you can also be in a lot of trouble by surrounding yourself with the wrong kind of people who are either not anointed or have a contrary anointing that is not about healing and joy and unity. The opposite are people who are anointed with anger and, and bitterness and dis-ease on the inside. Do you know people like that? They may be Christians, but they, they don't have the fruit of the spirit. They have the fruit of anger, bitterness, dis-ease. They're condescending. They call people names. Uh, they're always thinking about themselves. They're prideful and arrogant. They're not servant-oriented. They just want to preside over everyone else. Well, friends, you get to choose. You get to choose if that's the kind of ministry you want to be a part of. That's the kind of friendship circle you want to be a part of. The reality is we have to follow people who are sincere, authentic, who also are anointed. But thirdly, who are fundamental. Now, when I talk about fundamental, I'm not talking about being a fundamentalist where you're rigid. I'm talking about a firm foundation of faith at a basic level. The fundamentals, it's like playing basketball. What are the fundamentals? It's like playing football. What are the fundamentals? How do you dribble? How do you shoot? How do you make a layup? These are called the fundamentals. Before you get all the flair and start dribbling between your legs and, and doing Michael Jordan kind of spinning uh, layups where you go up on one side and then before you know it, you spin up and put it up on the other side. Before you get all fancy, what are the fundamentals? And what happens, people try to get fancy with their faith and they try to get fancy with the word, and they try to get fancy with speaking in tongues and all kinds of spiritual mysteries, and they don't even have the fundamentals, and so they're, they're, they're flowing in a world of Christianity that doesn't have the fundamentals. If you're gonna follow a leader, follow one that has the fundamentals. It all begins with a firm foundation. Key passage is Matthew 7, where Jesus himself says in verses 24 through 27, listen to Jesus' parable. He talks about the wise and foolish builders. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had, listen, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the storms rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, listen, with a great crash. The difference is the foundation. Both houses went through the storm. Both houses, the streams rose. Both houses, the winds came. It blew out the windows and everything else. But 
the one that was built on a shaky foundation, built on sinking sand, fell with a great crash. The house that was built on a solid rock, even though the windows blew out, even though the streams rose, because the foundation was strong, it was able to stand. The same is true with our faith. We need to follow leaders that know the fundamentals. So then when things get fancy in the spirit realm, then when mysteries show up, then when other uh, teachings come into the church, then when aberrant theologies begin to creep in, because they know the fundamentals, they can read very clearly and see the tea leaves, if you will. They can tell you that that's not a part of the anointing of the ministry. That's not a part of the agreement of the ministry. That's not a part of God's word. That's being twisted. But if you don't have the fundamentals, you don't know what you're being sold. You could be being sold the, the sort of the, the black Hebrew cultic idea or some of the Seventh-day Adventist cultic ideas. It's not all Seventh-day Adventists, but some of them go too far. Church of Christ, they're great, but there's some ain't so great. Why? Because they've gone way too far to say in Boston and Chicago, you must be baptized in this church and every other baptism prior to that, even if you're a believer, doesn't count unless you're baptized in this church. That's aberrant theology. Now I can go down the line. You want to talk about Jehovah's Witnesses? You want to talk about the Mormons? Who do you want to talk about? Listen, I'm not about taking all the other ideologies and just say that they, they don't mean anything. I respect the, the traditions of all the different denominations and religions. But I'm saying if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you need to at least know the fundamentals of your faith. So then when other ideas come in, even if they're cloaked in Christianity, you can tell this Seventh-day Adventist church, they got it going on. Yes, they do. And it's awesome. This one over here, not so much. See what I'm saying? This Baptist church, they got it going on. This one, oh, whoa, way too legalistic and way too far to the, to the side of rigidity to the point that they are like Pharisees. No grace, only truth, and the truth ain't even true. Why am I saying this? Because if we're going to grow, remember, follow me. If you follow me and I'm following Christ to help you, point you toward following him, then if you're going to follow someone who is shaping your faith, that faith-shaping leader ought to know the fundamentals before they get fancy. So what are some of the fundamentals of the Christian faith? Real quickly, God exists as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Fundamentals. God created the heavens and the earth, including all life and human beings. Fundamentals. Man sinned against God, and as a result, we live in a world that's fallen. Fundamentals. Man is in need of a savior, and the only savior for the world is the Lord Jesus. Fundamentals. Jesus paid the penalty for human sin on the cross. He was buried. He rose again from the dead and offered salvation to any and all who place their faith in him. Fundamentals. Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead and will take all believers into eternity with him forever, while unbelievers will live separate from him in eternity. Fundamentals. The Holy Bible is the word of God. Fundamentals. You see, we teach about the solid rock foundation of God's word. And when the winds come, and they will come. When the streams rise, they will rise. 
And when the winds blow, they will blow. But in that parable, it's not just about the foundation of the house, it's who's in the house. Meaning that when the storms rise and the winds blow, what house are you in? If you're in a house that's built on sinking sand, even if you're a good person, you go down with it. And because of God's grace, you could be a bad person. But if you happen to be in the house that has a firm foundation, when the storms come and the winds blow, guess what? You'll survive. What are we saying? Get in, the, get in and under the cover of a place that has a firm foundation on the fundamentals, even if they're not sexy, even if they're not fancy. You don't have to be all sexy and fancy to be a good follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to speak in all kind of unknown languages and you don't have to dance in the flocks as beautifully as we saw uh, prior to the sermon. You just have to know the fundamentals. There are even fundamentals of dancing. Did you know that? Oh, y'all want me to show you? Nah, I ain't got them. Because see, I'd have to be trained the fundamentals. And then I'd have to practice the stretching. I'd have to practice the movements. I'd have to practice the choreographies. And as you grow in Christ, you have to be taught the fundamentals. Then you need to practice your stretching of your faith. You need to practice the way you are supposed to move according to the spirit and obey according to God's word. It takes time. It takes leadership. And faith-shaping leaders are ones who are sincere, uh, anointed and fundamental. There's one last one before I close, and that is eager. Eager. I, I like this one because, you know, John chapter 1, verse 35 through 37, we see that the, 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 the John the Baptist leader, right, had a couple of disciples with him. And when they saw Jesus, he was eager to point them toward Jesus, not himself. He's telling everybody, no, it's not me. I'm not, I don't even... I'm not even worthy to tie or untie the sandals of the Lord. It's him right there. See, that's what a good discipler does. A good discipler, a good faith-shaping person in your life will point you toward Jesus. Remember, we follow them as they follow Christ. But as I'm following Christ, guess who I'm pointing you to? I'm pointing you to Jesus. And this is what it says. He says very clearly, uh, that's him over there. In verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples had heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? John was a pointer in their life. There he is. You've been following me all this time. That's the guy I've been telling you about. You know, if you're going to be a face-shaping person then you want to make sure you point people toward Jesus as they follow you. What have we said? Let me review four qualities of faith-shaping leaders. They are sincere, they are anointed, they are fundamental, and they are eager to point people toward Christ. If you look at the first letter of each of those words, you've already figured it out. They're safe. Sincere, anointed, fundamental, eager to point people toward Christ. Not perfect, but safe. Here are a couple practical applications. Number one, give yourself away as a spiritual leader. Give yourself away. 
Who can you pour into spiritually right now where your role is to practically and prayerfully and biblically point people toward the person of Jesus Christ while opening up your life too so people can see that you're real? You know, I've done so much traveling, I hardly ever travel alone because I carry teams of people with me. A, because I need the support. B, because I don't like being all by myself all the time. And C, I love good fellowship and I love to eat good food. But guess what their, uh, their experience is also? Someone said to me just yesterday, just by being around you, you don't realize how much I and other people pick up from you. You don't even know that you're teaching. And they're right, I don't know. I'm just being me in an airport. I'm just being me when we're stuck uh, in some uh, Dallas airport because it always seems like Dallas is where I'm stuck. And I realize why. It's because the Cowboys are there and I happen to be a Washington team fan. And so I get it. It happens just because I'm in town. It's all about me. (laughs) But the reality simply is this. Having nothing to do with the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington team beat Philly. Just a side note, but back to my point, give yourself away as a leader by letting them see who your teams are, letting them see how you get upset sometimes, letting them see what maybe even some of your temptations are and letting them see what kind of food you like, letting them see who you are and how you wake up with a word that you can then drop on them through text or through a conversation over breakfast. Another practical application besides giving yourself away as a spiritual leader, number two, get into God's word and share what you are learning with others. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to get into God's word. When's the last time you read the scripture? And I'm not talking about on the screen today for service. Have you opened your word? Let's look at last week, the last seven days. Have you opened your word? Have you opened your Bible app? Have you underlined any scriptures? Have you journaled any thoughts around a biblical text? If you're going to be a faith-shaping leader, if you're going to dance and lead the flock along with a community of people, then you need to open God's word, read it. But here's the thing, share it. That's why I love what's going on with our church now, because you can share. If you go to the Bridgeway website after the services are over, if you hit online services, it took me a minute to find it, but I know how to get to it now. I go to bridgeway.cc, you hit online services, you can actually see the different segments of the service. You want to see the girls dancing and flocking with uh, a Tory's testimony of what that means? You can take that, copy the link, and send it to people. You want this message, you want to send it to someone and say, hey, let's have a conversation after this sermon. You can copy that link and send it directly to people. You want that worship song, you can copy that worship song or that worship segment and you can send it to people. We have a way now that you can actually share God's word all the time. Why am I saying that? I'm saying because we all need resources to help other people. And it starts with us helping ourselves by getting into God's word. Here's the last thing I'll say and before I close out in prayer. And that is this, as a practical application, give space for the Holy Spirit to work. If people are following you, give space for the Holy Spirit to work. Be a spiritual leader who actually lets people fall, let people hear from the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between a spiritual leader who gives space and one who controls Don't be a controlling leader. For those of you who have been a part of churches where people are just controlling, how's that working for you? Don't you just want to break free from it all? Do not seek to control the growth of other people. You can't. I can't make you grow. I can't hardly make me grow. But I can make decisions to try to help myself to grow. And you can make decisions to try to follow me in doing it or surpassing me. 
But what I can't do is I can't control your walk with the Lord. Now, some people try to do it. I'm not that kind of leader and I don't want to be. And I don't want you to be that kind of leader. I want you to be an influential leader. I want you to be a persuasive leader. I want you to be a God-led leader. I want you to be a Holy Spirit-inspired leader. But I don't want you to be a controlling leader. Listen, you don't control people. And if you don't know that, newsflash, you can't control people. You can try to hold them down for a while, but it's not going to help them grow. It's not going to help you grow to just make you feel better about your esteem, which is whack if that's what you need to do in order to have a high esteem. But that's another sermon. My point is simply this. It's only a matter of time before that whole thing breaks up and falls apart because you cannot control people. You lead them. You dance with them in the flock and take your role when there's time for you to now switch and rotate. Be a positive influence. Let me uh, thank you, by the way, for the, the kind of leaders that you are, the kind of followers, the kind of givers, the kind of lovers who live and love authentically and in an anointed way. I love pastoring Bridgeway Community Church. I love pastoring you. And I love doing the work of God with you. I'm gonna say a closing prayer, but I want you to pray with me a, a, a word of thanksgiving for the people who are in your life that help spiritually inspire you. Because the reality is none of us would be following Christ if it weren't for God using other people. And Heavenly Father, we wanna thank you for the people that you've used in our life. The ones that have pointed us towards you over and over again. The ones who have prayed for us. The ones who shared the gospel with us. That have preached and taught and sung and inspired through conversations late night. Lord, we thank you for the people you've placed in our lives. Lord, if there are people in our orbits, help us to reevaluate those that may not be the best influence on us spiritually. And I pray that this series would help people step up to be the kind of faith-shaping leaders you want them to be. I thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice. And Father, for those who don't know you in the pardon of their sins and they've never given their life over to you, right now, if you want to give your life over to Christ, I implore you to start now. Pray this prayer and invite Christ into your life. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins and help me to understand what it means to follow you by faith. I place my faith in you now. Please save me, God, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.